Well, welcome to the bonus portion of the podcast, and we are going to be talking about 1995, where we were and where the culture was. I'll start with a simple question for you, Keith. What is internet? (laughs) Do you know? What is internet? If you could explain to me, what is internet? Well, I remember the first time I heard the term was in my book club, and a girl said, oh my God, I just got this thing called America Online. And we all gathered around the computer and she dialed in and we still didn't really understand what was happening. We're like, okay, are you in their computer? Are they in yours? What's happening? We couldn't under, I couldn't even get my head around the concept of where she was getting all this content because up until then, if you had that much content on your computer, you typically had a CD-ROM in. And we're accessing lots of stuff that way. And so I'm like, oh, my God, she's finding all this mainly just words. You know, it's just colorful words on backgrounds. But I was like, oh, and I couldn't understand how she was chatting with people in real time in chat rooms, you know, and she's like, well, you're I'm a newbie here. So I'm trying not to get flamed, you know, where if you don't know the lingo, (laughs) they start ganging up on you. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the Wild West. Well, if you were watching television back in 1995 maybe one of your favorite shows was the today show still on the air but you might remember these conversations millions of americans own a personal computer if you're one of them you can now glimpse the future with nothing more than a modem a phone line and a few dollars a month oh that's that little right. mark with the a and then the ring around it at see that's what i said mm-hmm. um katie said she thought it was about yeah oh but I'd never heard it. I'd never heard it said. I'd always seen the mark, but never heard it said. And then it sounded stupid when I said it. Violence at NBC. Just what is this main artery of the information superhighway? Every business, no matter how large, no matter how small, will be on the internet in the year 2000. It's the primary way that people will look up information. It will replace the yellow pages as we know it today. Are a lot of people just getting on to the internet because they feel that they have to get onto the playing field, so to speak? Well, it's very hip to be on the internet right now. (laughs) There it is. Violence at NBC, GE-COM. I mean... Well, well, Allison should know. What what is internet anyway? Internet is uh, that massive computer network. Mm -hmm. The one that's becoming really big now. What do you mean? That's big. How does one? What do you write to it like mail? No, a lot of people use it and communicate. I guess they can communicate with NBC writers and producers. Allison, can you explain what internet is? No, she can't say anything in ten seconds or less. Uh (laughs) I'm afraid that if I subscribe to something like internet, you would really be hooked. I would get hooked, and I would never, you know, spend time with my family. Do you, well, and also, do you, does it bother you at all that these are all people that you don't really know? I mean, it's, everybody's you know signing on and having these conversations and whining together or griping together or whatever, to with people that I mean, I I don't know if I. It is group therapy of the of the nineties. Well, I just as I mentioned, I have no desire to be a part of the internet because I feel like I'm so inundated with information all the time that I don't really I don't want more. Don't you ever feel like it's just constant? bombardment I, know, I guess the thing I resent most is, is I would resent that, you know, at least when you're home, if the phone rings, you have the option of not answering it. On the internet, people can send you messages all the time. You don't even want to hear from. I know. <laughs> Almost <laughs> 30 years ago. Is internet? Yeah, <laughs> put this in perspective, though, because that sounds like it's literally 100 years old. It does. But then yeah. you kind of realize this is after Nirvana. Kurt Cobain was already dead for a year at this point. Pulp Fiction was in theaters. And I look yeah. back at even, you know, this is the year O.J. Simpson got acquitted. 
Michael Jackson came back to the Bulls. You know, Oklahoma City got bombed, which was like oh, the right. first major right. domestic terrorism thing that we had had. All this stuff in culture was happening at the same time. It was a big pivotal news year. We're in the Clinton administration. He's setting the stage for a lot of stuff that's affecting us to this day. So when you think about just the internet, it seems like, oh my God, it's like a hundred years ago. Like remember getting AOL discs? We had like a hundred AOL discs, like Bed Bath & Beyond coupons everywhere. I know. They used to come in the mail. Now you can get how many hours? I can't remember how many hours. It would always increase. Oh yeah. 256 hours. And then remember you had to dial local access numbers. And so sometimes if you wanted to get online, you were going through 20 or 30 numbers just to see if you could get that, you know, (laughs) the boomerang sound. Yeah, exactly. I'm in, I'm in the matrix. Oh my God. It was so exciting. So it's yeah, so here are those clips from the Today Show. I mean, there's Katie Couric on there, Brian Gumble. They are genuinely perplexed by what this whole thing is. And I remember hearing the term information superhighway from the Clinton campaign. They were talking about that early on. I want to get on the information superhighway, and everyone's like, "Is it a highway? Like a real highway? Like what yeah. are you talking about?" And I remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, Julie and I were uh, about ready to get married, and I said something about information superhighway. She says, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Well, it's this. Uh, it, it's a uh, if I'm if I if I'm getting this right, I, I I think it's somehow related to getting information through our computers in some way. Okay, how does that happen? I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know." <laughs> The wild thing is like PBS did a special to teach people how the internet works. And they actually used, a, they had it on a soundstage and they built a small town mm-hmm. and they were in a car and they're like, okay, the car is our browser and we're going to drive around and get our news. Then we're oh, going to send our mail. Then we're going to the check the weather. Highway. They're on the yeah. super highway. Okay. I'm good with I remember that. I was in public relations at the time. And so yeah. when we needed to do research, you couldn't just Google things. And so you would hire a company called LexisNexis. Oh, I love and the LexisNexis. Yeah. yeah, you'd give them search terms and then they would send you like 500 pieces of paper, you know, that had every <laughs> news article and it was really expensive. But then we were like, oh my God, we're like the FBI. We just got all this amazing research in a FedEx box, you know. That was pulled from the information superhighway. So I think this sets up the stage for us talking about music from the era, because even though the news headlines sound like they're 100 years ago, the music, I've had the best week ever. We're exploring the 10 albums I'm going to talk about as my best of the year. And man, they all sound fresh and as vital today as they did back in the day, both production wise, the message and the lyrics. And just the cohesiveness of the albums. I'm like, wow, 1995 holds up. And going, as we were saying, the name of this, like, you know, if this was a good year, yeah, I kind of put music? out there, yeah. yeah, this is one of, if not the best years ever for music. So we'll see if that holds as we go through today. Sure. Yeah. Especially if the series, as the series progresses, we're going to probably come back and compare year after year. But of course, Sometimes it's an apples to orange comparison because you're looking at a different era versus saying, oh yeah, 1985 was the best year, 81 or 2005. But yeah. these sometimes are, are, are very different in terms of, of style, what is popular and what is hitting in the pop culture. You're right about 1995. It, it was a transition year to me in our culture because not only was there the early internet, 
but like the Telecommunications Act and the Decency Act in the United States, these are two things that created the conditions of what we have now. So the Telecommunications Act allowed consolidation of media properties, mostly in the radio industry side of things. The Decency Act granted large immunities to social media platforms so they could grow, so they wouldn't be subject to libel lawsuits. So you take those two things right there and you go 30 years into the future, almost almost 30 years into the future, and you see that radio has lost a lot of its influence. Social media is still dominant, although splintered, but yet the amount of absolute garbage and hate that is on these platforms that is directed at people and these social media companies don't have any kind of liability. They were saying, well, we can't really regulate it because we're just the platform and, and we're yeah. not like real media, right? We're, we're so different. But what do yeah. people use social media for? To promote themselves, whether they're trolls or whether they're actual creative artists, music, film, whatever. They use Instagram. They use TikTok. They use all of these platforms to basically say, hey, look at me. This is my product. This is what I do. What's the difference between that and carving out a 30-minute infomercial in 1990 to hawk your shampoo or your vitamins or your exercise regimen and you're a celebrity? So there's not a lot of difference between an influencer and an infomercial host, at least in my, in my estimation. I don't know about you, Keith. What do you think? You know, the internet was just the seeds right now. And so if we're going to really focus on 1995, let's kind of look at where, you know, culture was. The main way that I learned about music, as you said, was from the radio, college radio stations in Chicago. We had WXRT, which and the PBS stations that played some more alternative stuff. But beyond that, there was Rolling Stone and Details and Blender Magazine and Anime and Melody Maker from overseas. And so I was really dependent on magazines mm -hmm. to, to discover new music. And also I discovered lots of the bands we're talking about today versus sampler CDs that were given out to either college radio stations or even to record stores. And the record stores would dump them in their dollar bins because they were just promos. And so I would pick them up for 99 cents. All of a sudden, there's 20 tracks on there. And I'm like, oh, my God, I discovered some amazing bands. So there's yeah, three of yeah. the bands that we're going to talk about today I discovered on these dollar discs that I used to pluck out of the dollar bins at record stores. The dollar disc was like a radio station, right? You get 20 yeah. tracks for a buck and suddenly here are 20 artists you may not know. And here yeah. are some really good songs that ended up on a CD. Yes, it's a buck. It's kind of a gateway for you. But yeah, so in the eighties, it was CMJ. CMJ mm -hmm. had those college, you know, here's what's happening in college radio. And I think it was a monthly disc series. And so, because you think about the nineties also, everyone thinks you say the nineties and the first thing you think about is grunge. Mm -hmm. And maybe the second thing you think about is Britpop, but you figure oh, hip -hop. Whitney Houston, yeah, yeah. yeah, Whitney Houston, Celine Dion, Boys to Men, NWA, Eurodance, the Macarena, that was what was <laughs> really happening at the top of the charts. Right. But then for alternative lovers like us, Seattle had already kind of peaked with Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden president yeah. of the United States of America. And so now at 95, Chicago and New England were really happening. You know, and I would love being in Chicago as this was all happening because you got the Smashing Pumpkins and Urge Overkill, Liz Fair and Veruca Salt and Material Issue. And then in New England, you've got like Throwing Muses and Belly and the Pixies and the Lemonheads. 
And so that's giving rise to then, meanwhile, across the pond, you've got Blur, Oasis, Pulp, Radiohead, Tricky, all of them, massive attack you know, mm-hmm. kind of happening. Mm-hmm. And so it was yeah. a really, really exciting time where the underground was about to go overground. And that would last mm-hmm. from like the mid 90s through the early 2000s. Yeah, like like I was saying, it's a transition year, not only on the you know sort of the the regulation side about what the culture is now versus what had been set up in our legal system, if you will, but it's also a big transition year in terms of music. Like what was underground becomes overground, as you put it. The Macarena certainly probably gets played at weddings still. I don't know. People laugh and have fun. But you're going to listen to that like over and over again? I don't hear it on the radio very much. But you you reference the fact that you were in Chicago at the time. So what were you doing in 1995? So in 95, I was finally transitioning from, because I graduated college in 89, mm-hmm. failed through a bunch of careers in Ohio and then in Chicago, trying to find myself. And I finally got my career going in public relations and advertising. And so by 95, I had landed at an ad agency and it was really huge for me to be able to go into an office job and be able to work regular nine to five hours versus when I worked in retail or restaurants, you're working crazy hours, you're working weekends, you come home smelling like the office burnt pizza crusted, you know, just embedded in your clothes or smoke and stuff like that. And so I was finally able to kind of, oh, I'm making a living at this. And I'm able to afford nicer and nicer apartments. I'm saving up for a car, but I'm also able to now go to concerts. And Chicago in the 90s was just the greatest place ever to discover music at Metro and a bunch of other like Double Door, clubs of all sizes. All the big bands played Chicago. So whether you're seeing like a huge stadium show or the next big thing in small clubs, it was fantastic. Like, I remember seeing Smashing Pumpkins before they were Smashing Pumpkins when they were billed as the Star Children, hmm. opening for a band that I really loved called Big Hat, which was very kind of goth, ethereal trip hop. And they played a small dive club. And then who knew that within a couple of years, they would be the biggest band on the planet. So 1995, you're living in a cool city. Yeah. You got a cool job. You're making adult money now. And you're able to do things like go to shows more on a consistent basis, not like save up and say, well, maybe I've got one or two concerts I can go to or three concerts I can go to this year. Instead, it's like, hey, I got a little disposable income. Yeah. Two to three uh, shows a week. Yeah. Where were you? Wow, yeah. you were you were committed there. No, I oh, mean, yeah. as far as like a, as a music fan, like you you're out and about. That's that's good. And as a quick so, aside too, because also in the '90s, that's when I was going to Second City for classes, and a lot of the people that were kind of in the Second City system at that point are now huge stars today, like you know Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell and Amy Poehler. So yeah, it was a very exciting time to be in a city. Are you saying you knew those people? I knew of them. Some of them were actually like teacher's assistants. Uh And as students at Second City, we would go to all the Second City shows, whether it was Sunday Company Mm -hmm. or the main show. And that was always the big thing was to see and be seen at these shows. And so that's kind of what my interaction with a lot of them were. Oh, okay. I was going to say, geez, Keith, all these... (laughs) This time you've been on the podcast. You didn't tell me you knew Steve Carell and Amy Poehler. Yeah. And the funny thing was, we used to take our clients to a place called Scoozy, 
mm-hmm. you know, which was right in the River North area where we worked. And so that was a big deal for us to get like a fancy meal because we were young and hungry and we could take our clients to Scoozy and treat them to a nice dinner. And both Colbert and Carell were waiters at Scoozy back in the day. Really? Wow. That's wild. <laughs> so you knew them when, when they were yes, waiting tables. Exactly. You could say, I knew of them when, yeah. Of them, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Your paths crossed. So for, so for me, I would say 1995 was the last year I felt like I was musically connected to the zeitgeist. That year, I was newly married. I'd gotten married in 1993, so newishly married. I had moved to Philadelphia with now my new wife, Julie, and we were living in Philly uh, in 94. We we moved in 94. I was about to become a dad. She was pregnant. I lost a ton of hair. I was in grad school at the time at the University of Pennsylvania. I was buried in reading. So my day, my week looked like this. I would get up, go to my classes. When I wasn't in class, I was at the library reading. When I'd get home, I'd do like a quick workout, and then I would basically read books and take notes and things till one o'clock in the morning. Then I'd go to bed and I would start over again. And that was my sort of startup mode. I was going to really burn the midnight oil. I was going to get through these courses and and get my graduate degree. And I was going to start a teaching career. That was the plan. Well, I did finish everything. I finished all my graduate work, got my dissertation, got my PhD and everything. But at the time, 1995, I was still very much the guy, kind of like what you were in Chicago. I wanted to do a lot of things musically. I wanted to collect a lot of music. I would have liked to have seen music when I was in Philadelphia, but I was so busy, I couldn't do it. So instead, I mostly just bought CDs. And what I was buying was what I was either hearing on the radio, reading in magazines, and believe it or not, being on that thing called internet. Because at the University of Pennsylvania, we all had to have internet access. And they had what was, at the time, the high-speed internet capabilities. So you would go to the libraries and you could look things up and things would render pretty quickly on the screen. And it wasn't just text, it was images too. So of course, in between my studies, I'm I'm searching around and it was Google. I was Googling around looking for music sites and I was reading about music and everything like that. So that's how I'd find out about bands. And then I would go and down to the, a local record store and I would buy what I was reading about. So that was, that was my life at that point. I was starting a, what I thought was going to be my career. Uh, because I was in school. I was newly married, but I was living in a city far from my home because my home is California. It still is now. So I was on the other coast and we didn't really have a lot of friends because you know we're new to town. But that was it. Once my daughter was born, I felt like eh, my priorities shifted. It wasn't so much about going to shows or anything like that, or even buying a lot of music. Instead, I was buying a lot of baby food and diapers and things like that. So most of my disposable income went from buying things that were exciting, like as far as going to concerts or or new music or magazine subscriptions to, well, that budget now gets allocated to the kid. So that's how it all changed. And you're a parent. And so you know that when, when the kid comes along, that a lot of that money starts to shift and some of that disposable income really shrinks and goes away. That was yeah, me. Well, because I didn't become a parent for 20 more years. Oh, wow. Know? So yeah. you figure for the next 20 years from, you know, actually from my birth through probably yeah, 2015, 2016, music was just the center of my life. So it'll be fun to now compare our top 10 albums from yes. 95 
as you were already in dad mode and I was just in, <laughs> oh my God, I'm just going to live and breathe concert and record store culture. It was the last year of kind of singly mode and the beginning of dad mode. So this was my transition year too. Hope you enjoyed that bonus content. We'll be back soon right here on the Planet LP Podcast.